in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I have the pleasure once again of following up with the amazing Hannah Kirshner. Thank you so much for joining, Hannah. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited to catch up. It's great. And we're going to talk about your exciting、uh, renovation project for a new kitchen entrepreneur idea in Ishikawa.、Um, for anybody who doesn't know, I just took my book cover off.、Um, it doesn't have the cover here. There you go. <laughs> Water, Wood, and Wild Things is Hannah's beautiful book、uh, that we talked about last year. Yeah, about、uh, a year I ago. I was just listening, and you were episode number 194. Now you are episode 405. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. You've done so many. <laughs> But yeah,、It's、so since so I last、big. talked to you, the book came out in paperback, and I'm working on lots of new things too. So. Amazing. It's amazing to catch up. And、uh, you were saying you were, since the paperback came out, you had some book readings and stuff. How's that going?、Um, yeah, well, it was nice because the hardcover came out really kind of in the midst of the pandemic, so, which we're still in, but everything was online at that point. And this spring, when the paperback came out, I could actually do some in person events and celebrate with friends and meet readers.、Um, we had a gallery exhibition here in Brooklyn of a bunch of、um, the Artisan goods and things from Yamanaka that I write about in the book, as well as the originals of the illustrations from the book, and did a sake workshop. I did some things in San Francisco. So it was really nice to get to do that. Oh, that's awesome. That must be so fun. And, and like you said、uh, when we did the first interview, too, you really are kind of living half and half between your beautiful rural town of Yamanaka and your home in New York. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. My yeah, husband's work keeps him here. So、um, I, I go back and forth. If it was up to me, if I was on my own, I might be completely in Japan at this point. But, you know, maybe we're sort of working towards that eventually. Yeah.、So. Um, I love one of the things that you said in the, in the previous talk was that、uh, although your book is very much about Japan and Japanese culture and a deep dive into rural life and all these amazing artisan experiences that you had, you think there are a lot of elements that people can apply to appreciate anywhere in the world, even their own backyard or their own neighborhood. Have you found that your readers、um, have responded that way? That they've been like, oh, I've noticed things in my neighborhood that I like and stuff like that?、Um, yeah, I haven't heard from people about like such specific things, but I have sort of heard that that idea resonated with people that, like, you know, if you look closely anywhere, there's unique and interesting local culture and stories behind it. And,、um, you know, even things we might not think of as like culture, like they really are in a way. So. Um, and I did hear from other people who, who grew up in the Pacific Northwest, like me, who, are, who like, really got that connection to the landscape and the sort of similarities where they're like, oh, I looked up what it looks like there. And, like, yeah, it really does kind of echo the Pacific Northwest. There's a lot of things in common in the landscape. So, which was part of what just like, really made me fall in love with that town and feel so at home there right away. Like, Because I am from this small town in Washington State in the mountains or at the edge of the mountains. Like, in some ways, I culturally had more in common with people in Yamanaka than I do in New York, or certain things I had in common with them that I don't necessarily with my friends in New York, even though there's obviously like American versus Japanese, there's also rural versus urban. Yeah. And so I, I find that too. Like, when I go back home,、uh, the people I connect with are people who've traveled. Outside of, of、mm -hmm. their hometown and explored new places and、mm -hmm. see new things to appreciate, even in their hometown, you know, because that's what I've been doing、uh, in Japan、yeah. for so long, right?、Um, now, Hannah, just to give us a, a taste of summer and a taste of your beautiful、uh, Yamanaka town,、uh, Hannah's going to read the beginning of chapter 15 about the Koi Koi Matsuri. Every year on the third weekend in September, the town of Yamanaka transforms into a two day party called Koi Koi Matsuri, which translates roughly to Come On, Come On Festival. Strings of red lanterns sway above the streets. Vendors called yatai pop up, selling deep golden fried chicken, okonomiyaki glistening with salty sweet sauce, and sunny side up eggs, chocolate dipped bananas with rainbow sprinkles. Cream filled crepes in pink paper cones and sweet smelling baby castella cakes. 
like balls of pancake with a dark crust. Late into the night, teenagers dance around a tall circular stage to a Eurobeat version of Yamanaka's festival song shouting, Koi, Koi, come, come. In pop-up tents, garages, and empty storefronts open to the street, people gather in Honjin, a military term for headquarters. Each neighborhood has a Honjin, and then there are Honjin for business groups, alumni groups, professional organizations, and yokinko, like formal and credit like informal credit unions. Inside, people sit on plastic tatami mats or at folding tables cluttered with color. Inside, people sit on plastic tatami mats or at folding tables cluttered with pla- ah, I haven't read a lot in a little while. <laughs> cluttered with plates of colorful kakinoha sushi, persimmon leaf sushi, and skewers of yakitori. They call in their friends from the street and pour them beer, sake, and highballs. The first time I attended the festival, I had no idea what these party tents were, but it looked like a lot of fun that I wasn't in on. Now, after years of visiting Yamanaka on and off and more than a year of living here, I have my own role to play. I'll wear, you, I'll wear a yukata in my neighborhood colors to dance in the plaza, and I'll help carry a mikoshi with a, with a rowdy group of two dozen craftsmen. A mikoshi is an elaborately adorned palanquin, like a carriage with no wheels, supported by four long poles that at least two dozen men lift onto their shoulders. But it's not for transporting royalty or a wealthy bride. A mikoshi is for parading a spirit through a festival. Um, we call them o mikoshi. The o is honorific, out of respect. But the one I'll join is an oan mikoshi, shaped like an oan, a miso soup bowl. Three years ago, my woodturner friend Nakajima made me an honorary member. Last year, he took me to the hardware store to buy my own pair of jikatabi, split-toed black canvas shoes for my costume. The, festi the festival is a tangle of Shinto, Buddhist, and secular meaning, but with all the partying, it's easy to overlook its spiritual agrarian roots. It's held during Higan, the autumnal, the autumnal equinox, a time for Buddhists to commune with ancestors who have crossed to the other side, but its form comes from the Shinto Akimatsuri, Autumn Festival, an occasion to thank the spirits for a successful har harvest. All right, shall thank I stop you. there? Yeah, yeah, thank okay. you so much. That's awesome. I I love that part. I think especially now it gives us a sense of of timing because usually in Japan, all over Japan, uh, we have so many wonderful summer festivals, and so mm -hmm. many like you were talking about is related to um, the harvesting or the planting or and it's it's all connected around rice and yeah. so much that you well, talk about in your book. Um, about making sake and growing rice and uh, so many of the things that you were involved in with artisanship also connected to the culture of rice and traditions, right? Well, and so not just rice, but agriculture in general. And, and then so much of what's in the book is like, is really seasonal. I mean, that was one of the challenges of writing the book of doing the field research was like, you know, getting the timing right, like this thing is only going to happen once a year, or it's only from, you know, November to February or whatever. But yeah, I miss I miss the festival. Yamanaka hasn't had its Aki Matsuri. They haven't had Koi Koi Matsuri since 2019. I so, know. and that year it got like half canceled because of a storm. Oh, uh, so. my my son just turned 20, and usually when it's his birthday, I know it's his mm -hmm. birthday because we have a local festival uh, with yeah. the hozuki. So all the Chinese lantern plants are put oh. out. And oh, we don't neat. we don't have that festival for oh. during coronavirus. So you know I'm I'm reading your I'm listening to you reading that beautiful section and and hoping our festivals will return. Uh, Enrique has uh, commented beautiful reading. I love it. Thanks so much, Enrique. Well, thanks thanks Joy for picking that reading out. It sort of makes me nostalgic for Matsuri too. Oh yeah, that well, and this time that, of year when it's so hot. And right, like, and now that people have uh, vaccines, let's hope we can get back to it. I yeah. I love your illustration here of the tabi as well oh, yeah. in the book. It's lovely. Yeah, um, but that's also connected, I think, to your project because. Your project that you're you're starting and you're going to introduce in a minute is a great way to like rebuild 
those traditions and the connection and the connections between people in community. So can you tell us a bit about this project? Sure. Well, so about a year ago, I bought an old house in Yamanaka, Kominka, that had been empty for about um, five years or so. It's a hundred-year-old house. Um, and the process of finding it was a whole thing, like tracking down the owner and figuring out um, how to buy it. And uh, But it, it turned out to belong to um, a friend's high school buddy. And, and But anyways, that's a whole other story. So now that I have this house, my sort of vision for it is two things. One, to make it into an ecominka, um, to really think about combining both ancient technologies and modern technologies and, and figure out what is an ecological house in this particular environment um, and what I can learn from this, the house itself about that. And the other project, well, I sort of had this in mind for a while, was, is to have create like a kitchen studio. So to have an indoor kitchen and an outdoor kitchen and dining space and have it just be this sort of um, flexible kitchen space that can be for events and workshops, for pop-ups um, that local people can offer, like teach visitors and tourists traditional local foods. And also like visiting cooks, visiting chefs can teach local people food from all over the world a place that like you know i have some friends for that are hunters like one of my friends right now is like trying to figure out how to make good sausage from the boars that she hunts that's sakura who i write write about in the book and like like in this outdoor kitchen that you're showing right now that we could like you know just like get together with some friends and do sausage making or um you know we could get one of the grandmas to show us like her recipe for suko which is like a local style of pickle of Akazuki. Um, so just, it could also be rented out for photo shoots, just this this sort of like multi-purpose um, kitchen space, kitchen studio. And I'd found out in um, that in June that Yamanaka was having a contest, the Akia Renovation Grand Prix to um, propose businesses in, in Akia in empty houses. And um the grand prize is up to, um, I think it's 5 million yen. So equivalent of, well, if the exchange rate was better, $50,000, but probably more like $35,000 with today's exchange rate. But uh, um, yeah, so so I entered the contest and this month there's public voting to choose the top three. And then the top three will... Um, get to present to a, a panel of judges and, and somebody will get this prize. So if people like the idea, please, please vote for me. <laughs> um, the link is in my Instagram. So that's probably the easiest way to find it or just Google Hannah Kirshner and find, um, yeah, find my social media. And I've been linking to it, the voting constantly. I'll, I'll put the link here as well. Um, you, for people who don't uh, read Japanese, you said it was the second from the bottom. Is that right? Yeah. Moke Yamanaka. So the kanji is wooden chicken. Moke. <laughs> yeah. The, the chicken or, kitchen. Or moke kitchen studio. <laughs> yeah. Kitchen studio. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm putting the link right here to the, the voting page. And then how do people vote? There's like so, a... It's you have to have um, a my number, so it's only people okay. in Japan who have only a my number. Which, like, if you're in Japan, you probably know what that is. It's like a social security number. Um, so yeah, you have to have a my number. So unfortunately, my friends abroad, unless they're unless they have a my number, can't vote. Um, so yeah. Um, well, great. We've got a lot of listeners in Japan as well. So uh, yeah. if you're if you're listening and you're interested, please vote for Hannah's idea. Um, that's lovely. Are these your illustrations? Yeah, well? those are my illustrations. So can you I, describe describe what they are? Um, yeah, well, I just wanted to get a, you know, create kind of a sense of the kind of activities that might happen at the kitchen studio. So like here, it's an older, like a obasan, obasan, like teaching some younger people, maybe one of them's a foreigner immigrant, like how to um, prepare some maybe uh, local vegetables or sansai. 
And um, this one is is just, uh, you know, what the house might look like after being fixed up. Um, the gardens in front are pretty wild right now, but there are some beautiful plants there. So, you know, the land around the house is really a part of it too. Um, I want to use the, the hatake, the vegetable garden, and so we can pick fresh things from the garden to cook and um, and just, yeah, enjoy the beautiful landscape too. Yeah, one of the things I read in your description uh, was you're, you're hoping by uh, reviving the house and gardens and the bamboo fields and the rice paddies that the fireflies will come back as well. Yeah, so there's, there's all around the house is these agricultural fields that I don't own any of them. My neighbors own them, but my friends and I have been, um, like local friends and I have been talking with the neighbors about um, possibly using some of their fields and starting to grow rice again, and and um, the my el all, my elderly neighbors, all my neighbors are elderly pretty much, um, have told me that there used to be fireflies, and that if we grow rice there, it'll bring the fireflies back. So that's that was that was really lovely. I went to visit uh, in rural Kyoto, uh, where Alex Kerr lives, and uh, stayed with him for a night, and he showed me his stream nearby where all the fireflies came out. And I think that's that's a great sign, isn't it, of a healthy ecosystem? It really um, is, yeah. Right? They're rather delicate. So if the ecosystem's out of balance, then the fireflies disappear. But like one of my friends near there um, in Ozuchi, Nimaida-san, he's, he's revived rice fields. That was the little village that his he, he grew up in. And um, the rice fields had sort of fallen out of use, and he's gradually... Um, revived them with the help of volunteers from all over the world. And, and they have like, he said, there's like eight different species of fireflies now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. They're such magical creatures, right? Because yeah. if you're, if you're in the, you can't actually see them. You can only see their light. And then you notice uh, some are blinking in sync and, and you're wondering about them, you know, and wondering about nature. And it's, it's such a great yeah. connection to nature for people, right? Yeah, it is. Um, this next picture. So this is the irori, right? Yeah. So the house has an irori. This was part of my dream: is that I wanted a house with the irori, the the sort of sunken hearth in the floor. And um, I was again inspired by my friend Nimaida-san and Ozuchi. Um, you know, sitting around his irori, like peeling um, persimmons for to make hoshigaki. Um, or just, you know, hanging out around the irori, having a cup of tea. It's just such a, like, natural gathering place that draws people together. So um, the one in my house was hidden under new flooring. And that was one of the things I was the most excited to do when I when I actually took over ownership of the house was to, like, rip up that flooring and find the irori. I knew it was there because, like, you could see that the room above it, the, the mud plaster is all blackened from just um, decades and decades of, of the smoke, um, which also sort of you know, preserved the, the wood and, and, and um, gets rid of pests. So actually, and actually that room um, was used for silkworm cultivation, I think. I found all the trays for cultivating silkworms and then there's um, uh, around the house there's a lot of I don't have a picture of that room unfortunately it's too dark <laughs> to take a good photo with any camera I have but um yeah there's mulberry trees a lot around the house too which the leaves would be the food for the silkworms but anyway because of this blackened room I knew there had been an irori and then the floor had there was like sort of like a wavy spot in the floor you could feel like I think there's like a hole there <laughs> so Wow. Sure how, how cool. And I know this is this is one of the things that Alex Kerr also does with his old houses, right? The old thatch house, bring uh, leave the irori. And for guests, especially guests um, from abroad, he thought this would be wonderful. But actually, a lot of Japanese guests also really love having that in inside campfire experience, right? It is really yeah. magical. 
Um, I mean, I don't want to rely on that as my main form of heating. Like I have asthma. I don't think that's going to be great for my lungs. It's probably a lot of carbon monoxide, especially if you like insulate your house. Oh, yeah. Well, if you have if you have high roofs or you could add like a chimney flue or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There there are adaptations, but certainly I don't that's not going to be the main form of heat in the house. More of a sort of special thing to to grill things over charcoal or. Yeah. yeah, and it's like you said, it's a gathering place too. Yeah, uh, Lee uh, Shanji, who is renovating houses in Wakayama, is also mm-hmm. uh, bringing back the irori in the houses that he's he's renovating. So it, yeah. it's so nice it's to such see. A romantic thing. I mean, yeah. I think any of us who are in love with these old houses, like that's one sort of one of the things that's really appealing. Yeah. Now, uh, we talked in the first uh, talk about all of the artisanship, all of the internships that you did as part of your writing of the book and uh, diving deep into lots of different experiences in craftsmanship. Uh, You did one with uh, Miho-san? Mika, Mika, Mika Mika, Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Horie. And uh, making the washi from Gampi, from the Gampi weeds. And this is also in the same area where you're going to start your kitchen, right? So are you connecting with all the artisans that you worked with to to at least send people over or come and visit? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, so in the process of writing the book, you know, I got to know so many people in the community so many artisans. I mean, Mika is a close, close friend. So, and really like an inspiration too. Like she has um, an old house that she lives in and has made into her studio. It's absolutely beautiful. Like I definitely recommend looking up her work, Mika Hodier and like her Instagram and stuff too. You can just see like her house and her life is so beautiful too. And I was like, I want to live like this. <laughs> so um she, yeah, I mean, everybody had, in the book is sort of around in the, in the town of Yamanaka or around. So, yeah. um, and like, like and like you, Hannah, uh, Mika also came from another place, right? Like she she, she came, came from there Kyoto. specifically because of her love of washi paper and making washi paper from the gumpy weeds, which she wanted to locate herself near that resource so she could have this circular making of washi paper experience. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of the artisans, a lot of, I mean, it's a small town, so people are very interconnected, but like, I'd hope that if I, if, and when I'm able to open this kitchen studio, that there would be lots of ways to connect and collaborate. And especially as somebody who's coming into the town from somewhere else, I mean, I've been there for five years now and been really accepted into the community but still I feel an obligation to like serve the community and be attentive to the community needs and not just like trying to like come in and profit off of like creating this experience or something, but really like um, thinking about how to balance, like, you know, creating a business that can have income. So it's sustainable, but in a way doing that to sort of be able to support more of like community events and, um, both like the preservation of local culture and cultural exchange, which, I mean, this is something I write about in the book too. It's like, even though Yamanaka is this really isolated place, like um, it has this long history of cultural exchange because of its hot springs, like um, merchant sailors coming in there for their break and like resting and, you know, bringing with them songs from way North and way South that became part of the local folk music. And, um, monks traveling, I mean, and poets, Basho coming through there and writing two poems about Yamanaka. So um, yeah, it really has this long history of, of, of cultural exchange too. So also um, want to like, just, um, yeah, continue that and um, connect people, connect visitors with local people and local people with the wider world and and with each other. Yeah, I I love this part uh, where you're talking about the artisan drive. Uh, can you read this for us? Can you see it on screen? Yeah, I don't even remember where this is. So Takehito Nakajima. Yeah, I don't remember which. This is from the book. Yeah, this but, is which, from which the, part? From the book. I <laughs> oh, anyway. I, sure, yeah. I can read. read okay, yeah. Takehito Nakashima and Shinichi Moriguchi, or artists like Mika Horie, 
papermaker and photographer find aesthetic and emotional value in working by hand. Their crafts and art appeal to those same desires. No one needs a handmade bowl or piece of paper. The friends who taught me to grow rice without agricultural chemicals or machines do so because it connects them both to their culture and their food, but they still shop at supermarkets too. Oh yeah, so I think this is from the, the last chapter um, and sort of t- talking about that tension between like tradition and contemporary life and sort of um, people's sort of um, desire for handmade things and, and the, the sort of satisfaction in that process and at the same time convenience is appealing yeah. too so yeah. yeah and i i remember in the last one too you were talking about uh, that same tension right mm-hmm. and then uh when you're working with that amazing woodworker and uh he was talking about his new innovative designs and he hopes he's creating new traditions which will be valued way into the future and so that right. that idea of what is tradition do we have to only preserve or can we innovate is really yeah. interesting well i think especially as a woman it's hard to be too romantic about tradition because a lot of traditions excluded us or still do um and and i think that's true for anybody that is um a minority in any given situation or excluded for any reason that like i, I think a lot about um how can we preserve what's really beautiful about traditions, but at the same time, like make them fit our modern values? And, um, but I, and, and also, I think people often really romanticize Japanese artisans and like sort of how like traditional and rustic their work is, but it's like, no, like they're using social media and like, you know, buying junk food at the convenience store and like, you know, people, people are more complex. And so I just wanted to show people, like, I I hope to represent people as a little bit more complex and not just like romanticized. Yeah, I think that that you definitely do that in your book so beautifully. I love that uh, experience that you're talking about the book making charcoal. And how it's like a two-day experience. And when you come, you bring loads of snacks like potato chips and beer and stuff. Um, And that's it's a lot of young people learning this traditional way. But, of course, experiencing it as young people do and like a party. And it's just an amazing representation of traditional ways in a modern kind of narrative. I love that. Well, and I think it often takes kind of like new thinking to be able to, to preserve these traditions, to, to make them relevant or fun or like get that sort of energy back into it. Like yeah, the charcoal making, that's also um, in Ozuchi with Nimaida-san, who I was talking about the rice, him sort of reviving these rice fields with the volunteers. So, um, I mean, he's really revived this whole village. He's the only person that lives there year round, but the village is almost always full of our volunteers, young people from around Japan and often from Taiwan. And, and even like I've met people from Mexico and Thailand and all over the place there, Poland, um, people coming from all over to, to learn and help. And, and so it was his sort of like creativity and openness to welcoming people from all over the place. And like, not having to like do everything himself or with his family that that made it possible to revive this village. So, and same thing with you know Mika Horie, the paper maker. You showed her beautiful work, and and you interviewed her before too. Like, she doesn't think of herself as an artisan so much as an artist. So, you know, we don't need artisans to make our paper for us because we have cheap printer paper and it's going to be hard to like convince you know the Japanese government's not going to go back to like printing postage stamps on handmade paper or like people aren't going to like use it in their everyday lives but she instead like wanted to sort of like emphasize the handmade part have each piece be a little different and have the texture of the paper actually become part of her artwork and like by making and then you know she she prints her cyanotypes on on her handmade paper and so she creates these works of art where like 
the photo and the texture of the paper are interacting and and then she's you know she's created something of greater value that she actually you know it's it's artwork and she's able to like support herself selling this artwork she's also single-handedly brought back the gumpy harvest like going into the woods and harvesting these shrubs peeling off the bark to make paper like um nobody in yamanaka was really doing that anymore and then also there's that element of bringing new people in, bringing outsiders in to appreciate it through uh, outside visitors, through tourism. And then that outside interest also brings in new enthusiasm from locals as far as, as far as I've seen around Japan. When people outside are interested, then locals start looking at it like, oh, maybe there is something there. Maybe I, I should I appreciate it too. Totally. <laughs> I think that's sort of human nature, like whatever. It's like, oh, well, we've been doing that forever. Like we just kind of take it for granted. And then if somebody else comes out and they're, oh, this is so cool. You're like, oh, it is. <laughs> So, but you know, that can be a tricky balance. I think when places rely too much on the interest of outsiders of tour tourism. So it's interesting. I mean, Yamanaka in a way has been a tourist destination for maybe even a thousand years. And so seems to just like have that balance. Like it's sort of built into the culture of the town and it, it doesn't get spoiled, like spoiled by it somehow, at least not so far. One thing so, that inspires me about uh, towns like uh, Yamanaka in Ishikawa is because it's so artisan focused, it's so focused mm -hmm. on uh, innovation and craftsmanship, but still a strong connection to nature. I think places like this, which have this reputation and branding, you're mm -hmm. going to attract the right kind of tourist who wants to spend time there, who wants to learn. It's not going to attract the kind of tourist who just comes in and takes a picture of the famous places and leaves, which is actually mm -hmm. more damaging than helpful kind of tourism, mm -hmm. right? So that's a really positive thing about this area. Yeah. I mean, in the last few decades, I think that's really thanks a lot to Kamiguchi-san, who's the owner of Coyote Ryokan. And he also worked in local government. And, you know, at a time when, you know, in the in the 70s, everybody was like building these like new like mid-rise and high-rise hotels and like <laughs> golf courses and stuff like that. And he really um, fought to take things the other way. First of all, he tore down his parents' Ryokan while they were away and built this like tiny 10 room Ryokan like they, before it was like a hotel with a pool and then like he built this 10 room Ryokan that's like very much about using local food local artisan products he I mean that's place is a work of art in itself but I he's really worked to try and encourage a kind of tourism that is about like an experience you can't get anywhere else rather than like replicating, you know, a comfort that you could find anywhere that, he, you know, his idea has been that, that, you know, people should come to Yamanaka, they should come to stay in his ryokan or any ryokan there for that matter um, to experience and taste something that they wouldn't get anywhere else to something uniquely local. So, I mean, there are, you know, not not everybody there shares his way of thinking, but I think it has really, um, especially because he worked in, in local government too, has really influenced the development of the town over the past several decades. Um, you you talk about uh, trust a, a lot in, in the first interview as well as in your book, mm -hmm. um, building trust, spending time, uh, getting recommendations, and how once people learn to trust you, then they introduced you to other experiences and other people that helped you dive in. Mm -hmm. um, there were certain key people that were your, mm -hmm. your biggest advocates, right? Uh, do you want to introduce them? Sure. Well, so I first came to Yamanaka to apprentice in the sake bar owned by Yusuke Shimoki, who is, um, he's my same age, so 37 now. Oh gosh, we were both like 30 when we met. Um, <laughs> time passes. Um, so, you know, I came and I worked in his bar for two months as an apprentice and um, yeah, a bar is like a community hub. So um, while I was there, or it can be, so while I was there, I met all these people um, 
farmers and artists and artisans. Um, Nika Horie was my uh, Japanese teacher, but then like right away we were like, oh wait, we're both artists. Like, okay, we're just gonna be best friends. Like, <laughs> the tutoring is great, but like we're gonna be good friends. And um, and then Nakashima-san, the woodturner, um, he's just an absolutely incredible woodturner. Makes he can turn like a wooden bowl like so thin it's translucent. Oh yeah, that's him. So. Um, you know, I, he invited me to his studio to make, to make a sake cup. And then, um, not knowing that I had like an art background and grew up on a farm, you know, using tools and stuff. He was like shocked that I was like, not completely terrible at it. And, um, that led to sort of a friendship that at, at first just built on like making things together and him teaching me, um, but, you know, each of these people is respected in the community. And so, um, like, getting to work in the sake brewery, the, the sake brewery, in 14 generations, they had never had a woman or a foreigner. And, like, they don't even give tours. But because Nakashima-san, the woodturner, vouched for me, Matsura-san, the sake brewer, was like, okay, you can come work in my sake brewery. And I asked him why he decided to let, like, finally let me work there. And he's like, oh, because Nakajima-san said to. And I trust him. So, um, and now, I mean, I worked there for one season as research for the book. Um, but then I was so flattered and thrilled when I came back a year later and was invited to work there again, just, like, to work there like oh my god I didn't just get in the way like I actually made myself useful so um yeah now I think it's three years that I've I've worked there part-time in the winter just like working in the sake brewery wow and it's it's so rare and wonderful your experiences um yeah. I think a lot of people dream of of having these deep cultural experiences um but it's not something you could just come in and and do all these experiences and go away right like you had no. to develop the relationships time. over time and develop trust and and go visit these people's places and show respect and then be invited right yeah yeah there was a lot of like relationship building you know like before I would ask somebody like directly like you know, can I work with you? Can I learn about your work? Can I follow you around in the woods while you hunt or forage or whatever? Like, you know, there would usually be like tea or coffee a few times. There'd be, you know, I'd need an introduction. Like, um, and I would tell people about my project. I would tell them I was working on a book and what I wanted to do and like that I hoped I could like um, maybe be helpful and not just get in the, like, I knew I would be in the way of tagging along, but if I, I could also do things that would be helpful, like, could I do that? I'd like to do that. And, you know, let people give people a chance to like, get to know me and be clear about what I was doing. And then, um, yeah, it took, it took, it took time and it has to, like, it would, it's, it would be disrespectful otherwise. Yeah. No, it's so it's so wonderful. Or like and you've kept your you've kept your connection and you're now you're doing a new project and you're gonna continue um, these relationships. Are there any experiences that you've done after you wrote the book that weren't in the book? Any new I ones? Mean, so much of what's in the book, you know, it just became my life there in Yamanaka. Um, I'm in New York right now. I'll be returning there in August. Um so a lot of it was just like a continuation. I mean, it was kind of tough because I had sort of made all these relationships and then it's like, I only have so much time. Like I kind of have to choose, like I want to keep making Wagatabon. I want to keep going to tea lessons. I want to like, don't really want to be a hunter, but I still kind of want to hang out with the hunters. So, but you know, like Sakura-san, the boar hunter and I, like we go hiking together a lot and um, I do still go to Moriguchi-san's studio and, and make Wagatabon or other like carved things sometimes. And then, um, oh, what else? I've continued my tea lessons. So still terrible at it and clumsy, but I guess that's <laughs> part of it. So yeah, the fish there is from my um, friend uh, Kawamoto-san who you read about in the duck chapter. So he's, he's also got a little fishing boat and goes out and catches fish. And so sometimes he'll just like show up at my door and be like, 
caught this fish today. So, um, but yeah, I'm always working on other things too, as like a freelance journalist. So like you, if you scroll back down a little bit, there's a picture of Hiroki Fukuoka picking limes there, uh, just up a little, yeah, picking the limes. That's, um, the grandson of Masanobu Fukuoka, the one straw revolution, that book. Um, so I, I went and visited that farm and saw what's still happening there today and, you know, how, how much they still practice um, what's in that book, The One Straw Revolution, which is sort of the natural farming manifesto. Um, and yeah, that, that, was that book is so inspirational. So many of the farmers I talk to on the show and so many people I meet in America when I visit always mention Masanogu Fukuoka-sensei and his influence on their ideas about natural farming and yeah. uh, finding things that, that work in different areas, trying loads of different seeds and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's actually been more influential or is maybe more famous outside Japan than inside Japan, so that's interesting too. So yeah, I did a podcast episode about that, and um, that's the, um, that big pot you see there. That's um, uh, Kazunori Hamana. I went and visited his studio to um, write an article for the um, T-Magazine, -Mag the New York Times style magazine. Um, I visited a brush maker in, in um, Nara and wrote about brush making. I don't know if I have any photos from that on there, but um, those are tools I found in my house because the grandfather was a furniture maker. And so there are so many chisels and hand planes and like beautiful tools that came with the house. Now, when people talk about uh, renovating old houses, they often, like people who love Japanese carpentry, also just rave about uh, Japanese tools. And it's actually a lot of uh, carpenters abroad want to use traditional Japanese tools. So this is really an interesting part of Japanese culture, which a lot of young entrepreneurs and innovators and craftspeople seem to be bringing back and supporting as well. It's nice to see. Yeah, it was such a treasure to find all these tools. Now I have to learn how to use them. <laughs> so. And you're you're a beautiful illustrator. You're also a food stylist. That's how uh, you were doing food styling before you came to Japan, right? Yeah, and still sometimes when I'm back in New York. So that's, you know, um, cooking and uh, making the food look beautiful for photos, sort of working with the photographer to create the image that they want. Yeah, it's so. gorgeous. This is all from your amazing Instagram page, uh, which I definitely recommend people go and check out. Um, is yeah. there any any stories from the book that the international audience seem to really appreciate or pick up on in particular? Oh, gosh. That's hard to answer on the spot. I think a lot of people were very fascinated with the Sakami duck hunting, which is this duck hunting with like this Y-shaped uh, fishing net, like a Y-shaped pole with a fishing net strung between it. And these hunters that go out, it's, you know, it roots back to like a kind of samurai skills practice. And now this group of mostly older men go out um, during the uh, hunting season from November 15th to February 15th and go out at dusk just as the ducks are leaving the pond and you have to throw the net up into the air just as the duck flies over and like intersect its flight so the duck gets caught in the net and falls to the ground and is stunned. And it's an extremely inefficient way to hunt, but um, more about, you know, a skill. And what I discovered by just being out there with them is how much it's really, I think, like, like fishing or hunting or other forms of hunting. Like, so much of it is just an excuse to get out in nature and that spent, you know, spending time in the same place at the same time of day, day after day after day, you notice all these like subtle shifts in the plants, in the wind, in the light. Yeah. And I don't think that's something somebody could have told me that like that the hunting was about that. But just by going out with them day after day, like I experienced that too. 
Yeah, that that story really resonated with me and how it seems so closely connected to indigenous styles of hunting, uh, taking only what you need, not taking more than will mm -hmm. be regenerative in future seasons, mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. And you talk about that with collecting sansai as well and that forest foraging culture. Uh, I had a follow-up chat with Winifred Bird recently, oh, yeah. and I, I interviewed both of you around the same time. You have some similar themes in both of your books. You have beautiful recipes. Um, you do go out forest foraging as well, right? Um, yeah, is that, she's is much that, more of an expert on that, yeah, but yeah. it's is something that, something that I grew up that, doing, so. Yeah. Is that something that the American audiences have connected with as well? The forest foraging sansai experience? I heard um, you I haven't reading heard from people no? as much about that, but um, I don't know. I hear I tend to hear from people more generally about the book, not necessarily the specific. Yeah, I they, saw you uh, reading yeah. on uh, books are magic that oh, yeah. that interview, and that was about the sansai, uh, the yama section, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of my favorite parts to read, I think, because probably the most personal chapter in the book where I actually do talk about about like how I grew up and like how learning the edible things in a place like makes me feel more connected to that place, more like, yeah, just more connected to the place and more at home. Yeah. In our in our first talk, you mentioned that you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, North Bend, and uh, the actually the town that Twin Peaks was was filmed in. Uh, so yep, you had yep. the Double R Diner was the Mar actually the Marti Cafe where I'd have strawberry waffles on my birthday when I was a kid. The cherry pie is still terrible. Um, the diner diner's gone through multiple different owners, but the cherry pie has never actually been good. And uh, growing up eating Japanese food and your connection, strong connection to Japanese culture, even in America before you came out, right? Yeah, well, the Pacific Northwest, like there's just so much influence from Japanese culture. Um, over 100 years of immigration. Um, actually, I'm doing a story about that right now for a proof from America's Test Kitchen. So keep your ears peeled. Um, but yeah, um, there's just such a long history of, of immigrants from Japan and, um, you know, now third, fourth generation Japanese Americans there who have really made the culture of the place. Um, so even in my little small town, like there was udon and yakisoba at the supermarket and those were things that my mom would cook. I mean, she was also, I think, made a point of, um, I mean, she loves to cook across many cultures and and wanted her kids to be introduced and, and to and curious about lots of different foods but um yeah I mean I think you know the way different regions of the U.S. I think have stronger influences from various communities that's definitely one of the strong influences in Seattle it's, it's great to, like we mentioned earlier, right, to have that outside inside experience and be able to tell uh, local people in rural Japan, you know, people all over the world love this and really yeah. appreciate that. And <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, any, uh, I think it's a good time to, to refresh people. Um, to talk about your project again and go through those photos uh, that we talked about in the beginning, because this is a important month for voting, right? Yeah, that's right. So if anybody is watching from Japan, if you have a my number, you can vote in the Akia Renove Grand Prix in Yamanaka. Well, in Kaga, it actually includes Yamanaka and also I think it's Oazu Onsen, but two of the Onsen towns. This competition for um, proposals for renovating an old house into a business, and and they actually especially encourage um, migrants, meaning people from other towns and and uh, and young people under forty. So I fit I fit the bill, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, my project I'm, is I'm there. The, the, yeah. the page the page in Japanese now. And uh, your your entry is this one, the yeah. ki, Kidori Mo Kitchen. 
Moke, Moke, oh sorry, Moke Kitchen Studio. So, and if you、um, go through to the PDF, and then、uh, you can see all the images that we have here.、Yeah. Can you just walk us through the images and your、sure. concept again? So, so the concept is really this sort of multi-use kitchen space,、um, kind of community cafe where、um, locals can offer classes for visitors. Visit, you know, visiting chefs and artists can offer classes for locals. We can have events where we get together to cook together, where we get like a local grandma to, you know, teach us、um, a bunch of us younger people their recipes.、Um, we can have pop-ups.、Um, so I can just decide, like, okay, I'm going to sell donuts for the next, you know, six weekends, or a chef can come and do a two-week-long restaurant residency there.、Um, so yeah, that's the kitchen now, and then the one before was a. a Uh, rendering, yeah, this is rendering of you know what the kitchen might look like after renovation. So also, I love、um, that and the open open kitchen style, right? Well, so there will be that's like a sort of smaller prep kitchen, and then there will be an outdoor kitchen, which is,、um, yeah, this is probably where we'll have most of the events,、um, especially, you know, the outdoor kitchen allows us to to gather even. In times where we're worried about respiratory viruses, and also、um, just like it, really enjoy that sort of like indoors, outdoors at the same time. So this would be the, that、um, last image you showed was like the indoor dining room.、Um, re- uh, I, I am just loving these original beams. That yeah, aren't those gorgeous? Those were gorgeous. all like、yeah. hidden by drop ceilings that I had to pull down. <laughs> Oh, that's、yeah. so wonderful to discover that behind the drop ceiling, right? Yeah, yeah. So and you, anyway, you mentioned- I hope people、yeah. will vote for my for my kitchen studio. So if I can get in the top three, then I'll get to make a presentation and have a chance to、um, win funding to to do the renovation. Otherwise, this might be like a ten twenty year project. <laughs> so did you buy the place? Or- yeah, I did. I did. Wonderful. Can you tell us how much about ballpark?、Um, probably about what you'd pay for an economy car in the U.S. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's so good.、Um, so you're you're a homeowner now. This is a big deal. You're yeah, putting down roots in,、yeah. in the area, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope to be. Right now, it's I'm spending my time about half and half in Yamanaka and Brooklyn, but I hope in the future that it'll be. Mostly Yamanaka.、Uh, we have some comments from English Vera.、Um, she says that saddens me about cherry pie. At least they could use can filling and improve it. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's kind of funny that it's that bad. <laughs> yeah, and there are other、Akia、things that are good. Yeah, Akia renovation and business building inspiring looks a lot like my place. Awesome. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I I went to the Minka Summit this year. And, oh,、uh, I wish I could have gone. Tell、oh, me about it. You You'll have to come next year because you're doing、yeah. this great project. You could tell us all about it. Well, there are so many people, you know, already doing so, all sorts of things with Kominka and Akia. So I there's I have a lot to learn. <laughs> It would probably、yeah. make my process a little easier to talk to more people who are already, but, you know. But your idea of、mm-hmm. not only renovating Akia or Kominka to live in or to rent、mm-hmm. out or to sell, but you're actually creating a community hub. That will be attractive to visitors, but also really help、uh, improve the quality of life for the local community. I think. Well, it really is responding to needs that I noticed both from the community and from tourists. Like, I mean, tour guides had told me that people visiting want to take cooking lessons or have cooking experiences, and it's hard, in, at least in that area, to find anywhere to do that. And then.、Um, You know, people are more private about their homes in Japan, so it's not so easy to necessarily gather at somebody's house to cook together. But I have a lot of friends that like to do projects, like make miso or、um, make umeboshi or、um, different kinds of like especially preserved foods, like traditional preserved foods, local preserved foods,、um, or also、um, like GBA game stuff. You know, hunters who are, have. A lot of extra meat that we can cook together with.、Um, so,、uh, 
Um, and you know, the, having a, a space where you could do a pop-up restaurant, a pop-up eatery, these are, these are hard to find in Japan. And so if someone's thinking, I would like to run my own cafe or restaurant, it'd be a good chance to try it, right? Yeah, to like test out an idea and see if it's viable. Like how much do you have to charge for the food to, you know, make it viable? And like, do people want to, want to buy it? Like, yeah, that's so, um, that'll be fun too. Or I mean, I think also like, I have no interest in like being a restaurant chef or like running a restaurant full time, but I'd love to like, you know, be able to offer meals for people occasionally or to like do it for like a couple of weeks. So I think yeah. a lot of, there are probably a lot of people like that too. So. Um, and I, I think that the, the pop-up concept where people have to book ahead, it's kind of a safer way to try because you know exactly how many you have to make. Uh, you have less food waste that way as well. Um, that's a great concept, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. I, not all pop-ups do it that way, but that's a really good way to do it is have people book ahead and, and you can sort of create excitement. It's like a limited amount, a limited time. Yeah. I love so, that. I love that yeah. idea. I'm so really excited about this project. I hope you win um, so you can get it going Thank faster, you. get some funding. Yeah. I I'm really hoping so too. I could really use the funding. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is, it reminds me of one of the projects Alex Kerr was talking about. Um, he he did a project similar like in, in Takeda, uh, in Oita and Kyushu, and uh, working with local artisans to try to use local recipes, but revamp them in kind of new mm -hmm. ways to make it more appealing uh, to visitors to come and try new restaurants and stuff. So this is, this is really key to reviving uh, local areas and bringing in new enthusiasm. So I'm really excited mm -hmm. for your project. Well, I'll have to see what people are interested in doing, but I think it would be really fun if, say, like the like the Choraku is this really great ramen restaurant. They make their noodles from scratch. They make their own gyoza. Like maybe the chef would like come over and like do a gyoza making workshop. Like it's not going to put him out of business. None of them, none of us are going to make it as good as him. <laughs> you know, it sort of might also like remind people like, oh yeah, his gyoza are the best. Like let's go eat there. So. Yeah, I, think I think there's that, just so many different opportunities for different yeah. ways to like network net with the community and not just cooks, but like artisans too, like using their tableware and also yeah. a lot of the beautiful like antiques that came with the house. Yeah, that kind of cross collaboration, I think would work really well. Um, maybe Mika could do a washi workshop, a washi paper making workshop, yeah. or you could send people there, you know, like having, like you said, that collaboration between artisans is wonderful. Uh, we have a question from English Vera. She says, uh, how about making a guest house as part of your renovation? So um, that might be tricky in my area because there are so many ryokan and hotels and they have a really strong association already. And um you know, that would put me in competition with them. Whereas if I provide services that would could entertain their guests, that could supplement what they offer at their ryokans, then it's, you know, it's more collaborative. It's, I think, more, would probably be more welcomed into the community. So yeah. um, how do people get around? Like if, if you're having alcohol, is there a taxi system or bus? Or oh my gosh, this is like one of the best things in Japan that I wish we had everywhere, which is Daiko, where they'll drive your co car home for you. It's like a taxi service, but they bring two drivers and one of them drives your car home for you. So like a lot of people use, use Daiko. But um, what's really special about the location of um, my Kominka is it's, it's walking distance from the center of town, but it's at the edge of town. So it like feels like it's totally in nature. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, which is part of the reason I was so in love with this particular house and so persistent about getting it. <laughs> so, yeah, but I guess we're almost at, at the top of the hour, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We have, we have done our hour. Thank you so much, Hannah. I'm just sharing the link one more time here. Thank you uh, so, so much. So people can have a look. Anybody in Japan, yeah. I should be able to vote, right? You need the yeah. my number. You, you said. need a my number. And if you could also share my Instagram, it's at sweets, the letter and bitters, sweets and bitters, that um, the link is there too. 
Okay, wonderful. I did it before and I will do it again. Here we go. Oh yeah. Oh, you did. Sorry, I didn't see that. No, no, that's fine. We need we need so, more reminders, more make it easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been so fun to talk to you again and and um thank you so much for having me on the show. Of course. I loved hearing you read your own words. Uh, if anybody hasn't read the book yet, please go and pick up a copy from your favorite bookstore. Uh, it is available on Amazon as well. And now in paperback, right, Hannah? Yeah, so a little more affordable, a little easier to carry on the train or plane. Yeah, and it, it is a wonderful uh, read. And you really can feel the magic of living and traveling in Japan. But like Hannah said, Earlier, it also kind of gets you excited about finding magic in your own neighborhood, wherever you live around the world. And I think that's a wonderful underlining theme of your book, Hannah. Well, I, I hope that, yeah, it really will inspire people to look for um, the special local culture wherever they are, as well as falling in love with Yamanaka like I did. <laughs> Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your fabulous insights. Once again, it's great to catch up. Uh, thank you, Enrique. He says, great interview. Thank you, Hannah and JJ. Uh, it's wonderful uh, to have you guys join this morning so early in Japan. Um, but it's wonderful to connect with you all the way from New York, Hannah. I would love thank to come you so visit your beautiful place in Yamanaka someday. Yeah, I hope that you will. I hope that, you know, it won't be long before the kitchen studios open and I can welcome everybody. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Have a great day and see you next time. Thank you.